The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Good morning, family. We'll be reading from Acts 11, 19 to 30, and it's on page 1103 in your Bibles. Okay. Now those who had been scattered by this persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among all, only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached a church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Holy Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one of them was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. May God bless the reading of the word. Let's pray together before we um, just kind of search for some truth in this for us today. Father, we come to you and we just, um, we don't want to be distracted this morning. Um, Father, there's so many new people in the room and, and it's so easy for us to kind of spend our time looking to the left and to the right and not really just saying, Father, we're here to see you. And so, Lord, um, as we step into um, the story of the church in Antioch, Father, I, I don't want us to miss out on the fact that uh, we get the name Christian from these people. Um, there was something about what they were doing that caused um, a shift um, in identity, Lord. Um, and we want to we want to be accused of being like Jesus. And so, Father, um, as we appreciate the way that Luke has been sharing the story of the early church. Uh, Father, we are desperate to feel its power in our generation today. Many have come into this room, Lord, even myself included, going through a season of just darkness, of feeling loss and the pains of life. And, um, and Father, many times we are holding on to our faith and our hope and our belief and, and are desiring for the storms of life to settle down. Um, but Father, one thing is true, is that the God that loved these people in Antioch is the same God that loves us, and, um, and we are thankful um, for the ways that you have been faithful through all generations. And so Father, even though we might be experiencing some pain, we want to see how we can allow our lives to be a light to the world around us. And so Lord, um, encourage your church today, Father, and I pray that you would use us to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me 
kind of help us remember here just a little bit about where we've been, because we've been in the letter to the book of Acts for a while. And for those of you that are new, you're like, okay, you're jumping midway into a story. So let me give you a quick catch up. The book of Acts was written to one person. This letter is an incredible example to us of how you and I could love a friend. All right, I just, the, this letter, we, we many times will look at the book of Acts like it's included in God's word. It's, it's, it's been given to us by the Spirit of God through writers like Luke, and, and he was using it to build his church. But when you look at the opening chapter, there was a friend on Luke's mind, and he wanted that friend to know about the truth about Jesus Christ. And he was diligent in the history and the writing and the stories and the interviews and and helping his friend see that everything he was saying to him was true. Now, I would love for us to catch that type of passion, that, that type of desire to see our friends and our neighbors come to know Christ. Imagine who would be on your list if you were to say, to my most excellent friend, Let me tell you about what I've seen in Jesus Christ. And so Luke then begins to just talk about the the upper room and the spirit coming and the the words and the power and the freshness and that God was moving through men, women, Jew, Gentile, slave, rich, poor, government leaders, people that nobody knew the name of. And we even find a church in Antioch that's flourishing, but we have no idea who carried the gospel there. All we know is, is that after Stephen was stoned, a bunch of people fled the persecution, but they didn't flee and give up on their, their faith. They were like dandelions, really. Their seeds were spread, and they went into all the cracks they could find and started growing wherever they went. And we find here in the book of Acts that there's a group of unnamed people We get the locations of where they're from, but they go to Antioch and they start telling people of every ethnicity about the hope found in Jesus Christ. Now, there are a few places in Baltimore where you can go and you could probably sit this time of year and probably within an hour you'll see somebody that you know walk by. Right? I just, let's just be honest. Um, there are, especially for those of us that come to this particular church family, or even in our West Baltimore church, I know that there are many people in the neighborhood around there that if you sit in Union Square Park at this time of year, most likely within an hour, you're going to see somebody you know. Our Patterson family, you hang out in the Patterson Park near um, the Boat Lake, you're going to see somebody come by in a very short period of time. Well, if you're a part of our downtown church, there's probably a few places you could go, but as long as you head to the waterfront and you grab a bench somewhere, you're probably going to see somebody you know. That is the life of the church in Antioch. Antioch was the, like, one of the major places where everybody that traveled for business would go through. It was a thriving city that had its hands in the navigation of all the roads, everything coming out of Turkey, from Rome, going into the Middle East, even heading to North Africa that wasn't traveling by boat, was going through Antioch. So this was a massive city, a city with that much like this room, looking around, you would have seen people from multiple different places different continents, different languages. There would have been one common language, Greek, because everybody learned it because it was a part of the economic engine that was pushing through the world at that time. But you would look around, and it was much like like neighborhoods here in Baltimore. You can go to certain pockets where people speak certain languages. Another neighborhood, people speak certain languages. Sometimes it can just be different floors and apartments around here where different people from different nations gather and congregate and all this. Antioch was that. 
So we have a lot of things in Baltimore that we can identify with in the city of Antioch. It was on the water. It was just a few miles inland, and so it, ships would come in. It was a great port city. And so this city of Antioch, for those, how many of you in here feel like you're directionally challenged, and you don't mind admitting it publicly? I am directionally challenged. Can I just tell you Luke is too? Because he says that the people from Jerusalem went down to Antioch. Antioch is actually up. From, did you guys catch that? Um, so I just want you guys to know that God used somebody like Luke to encourage the church, and he's just like you. So when you think you're go, you should go right, you go left, right? I just want you to know. So just know, I feel like I need to go this way. Then go the exact opposite, right? So Luke, feeling directionally challenged, is, 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 is this city of Antioch that is literally in Syria at the, at the crest of the Mediterranean Sea, and there's a ton of life and vitality that's happening here. But it's in this thriving city that's crowded and packed with enthusiastic trade travelers and people from all over the world that what they call Herodians or people that were Roman but yet were experiencing this joy in Jesus Christ, another way of calling them as Gentiles. And so we talked last week, right? There was this, this, there was this section of believers in Jesus that thought that everybody had to be converted to Judaism before they could follow Jesus. And so according to some of those laws, circumcision was a part of it. There were food laws. So Peter, in, basically in chapter 10 and beginning of chapter 11, to, says the same story of the vision of God revealing to him the truth that Gentiles were included. And it weren't just included, they were one. So whatever our status is, everybody's status is. There's not multiple statuses in the kingdom of God. We are one in Jesus Christ. And we sang beautifully about that this morning. But Peter has been talking to the church, especially believers that thought, well, you know what, in order for everybody to be in, you've got to adopt these laws. And Peter's like, no. Gentiles, as they are, are forgiven just like us, and they are welcome to the table. And we, and we talked last week that there's so many cultural influences because in Acts, these, this letter is being written to the church at a time where tension between Jews and Romans was escalating. We know that in the year 70, Rome came down on the revolt in Jerusalem and issued to the nation of Israel the worst physical war blow it had ever received. Palaces, temples, everything destroyed. The temple wasn't left standing at all. Thousands, they said that um, Josephus actually wrote in the first century that they ran out of timbers in Israel because that's they, the men that they were crucifying. They had to have timbers shipped in in the year 70 to crucify more people. That's how brutal it was. And so Luke is writing this letter to a church where tensions are growing between the Jews and Christians, the, the Roman Empire, and everybody in the nation of Israel. And so don't think they were coming to church in comfy, air-conditioned environments. Could you imagine as a believer in Jesus being a Jew and sitting next to a Roman soldier that you had introduced to Jesus Christ worshiping and praying with them and people peering through a window and seeing you two together? Imagine the tension in the community. What are, you, what are you conspiring against us now? I mean, what's the human heart do when you begin to see people of differences together? We don't assume the best, do we? We always assume the worst. And so when we step into this, this is what was going on in the first century. And so the early church was trying to make sense out of following Jesus and this powerful teaching of Christ called the Sermon on the Mount and how you're supposed to love your enemies and pray for them and, and serve those that are persecuting you. And they're trying to walk that out. 
and they're trying to understand all of this. And so all of that's coming together here in Acts 11. And now we begin to find here that for the first time, they're called Christians. Actually, I met one of our first-time guests, and it's funny that I actually had this in my notes because I come from a Methodist background, and my illustration is Methodist. Isn't that pretty awesome? <laughs> Go Wesley, right? <laughs> um, but do you guys know that the root of the Methodist church was the name Methodist was actually an insult towards John Wesley? People used to call them Methodists because John Wesley and his followers were so methodical in how they organized their Bible studies and their prayer services. The jab was, oh, you're a Methodist. Okay? That's not positive, right? And some of you that are, come from Baptist backgrounds like, I've been jabbing on them for years, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's because we have a hard time getting along, right? There's unity, Right? But yet the, the nickname was a sneer because they were so methodolo method methodological, you know, in the way they approach things, whatever the word is. <laughs> so I imagine in Antioch, this term Christian was a nickname. It's nice having my wife back in church, by the way. I just want you guys to know. Yeah. It has been a long summer. I've missed her interruptions. <clears throat> In my, in my, um, and for those of you that are new, you will catch on very quickly. <clears throat> um, but the followers of Jesus, and this is what I put on a slide. I want you guys to see this because it's very important that we get the root of what Christianity is. And so when they were called in the Greek, Christ, like these little Christians, I think, go ahead and put the slide up. So Christ equals Messiah. So in the Greek, it's referencing the word Messiah. So the word Messiah actually means the anointed one or, or the anointed king. So Christian in the Greek is actually the anointed one's people. So this is what they're being called. And I believe that is not the tone at which you would associate the word Christian in our culture today. And for those of you who have been around a while, you've been a part of our essentials class, you know that we as a church actually talked about, or in, in the year 2008, if we were going to call ourselves Christians or not. We were actually going to say to people, no, we just follow Jesus rather than use the word Christian because we didn't want to have to take the time and say, no, 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 not that type of Christian, right? Because the word Christian nowadays almost comes with an asterisk. So what, what, who are you really following, or what do you? And so, but, but through, actually, my wife and I took 30 days and just prayed and fasted through early, um, the, like January of early 2008, and we came out the other end, and God just said, people were called this, and we need to redeem it. It, we, it, need, it doesn't need to be something new. We need to let it be washed like our lives. And where people are like, no, 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 that's what a Christian's supposed to be. When they see us, they get, no, 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 that's what following Jesus is all about. And so what was going on here in the book of Acts and what's happening is there's this reputation and Barnabas is sent from Jerusalem to Antioch. And when he goes in here, it's just powerful what he begins to see and experience and all the things that are happening. But listen to what the testimony of Barnabas was, verse 24. In verse 24, it says this, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Man, would you not want people to say that about you? Would you not want people to say that, man, that's a good man, that's a good woman, they're full of God's Spirit. And I'm not just saying that you're full of the Spirit like, wow, you know, we, we worship with great expression, 
But have you ever been around somebody where you felt the Spirit of God on them? And where you just knew that that person, what they were experiencing was real and it was right and it was, it was, it was, it was just, that's what he was being accused of being, was a true follower of Jesus Christ, a good man. Um, that was actually the thing that was said probably the most around Ginger's dad's funeral. You know, when, when we lost Ginger's dad, the thing that's the hardest thing for us isn't the fact that we don't see him daily, because we know that he's good right now. Like, he and Jesus are tuning up the choir. They're just doing a great job together right now, preparing eternity with us in mind, right? I know that. But the problem with the loss of Ginger's dad is he was a good man. This world needs more men like my father-in-law where men and women around them felt encouraged and inspired and built up in the name of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we've been grieving is the loss of somebody that really had this Barnabas testimony about them. And so as we begin to see this, Barnabas loves these people. Now, had he ever met them before? No, he walks around, he sees them, and then what does he do? He goes gets who he thinks is going to be the best person to teach them so that they don't lose their way. That's why I say to you guys at the beginning, or I said to you at the beginning, is if this is not the church for you, tell us. We will not be offended. We want you to find somebody that can teach you about Jesus Christ. Because we need to be instructed. I don't care how long you've gone to church. I don't care how much time that you've spent reading the Bible on your own in prayer. We all need to learn. And because it's so easy in isolation for us to get lost or get distracted, it's so easy for us to not know that we're walking after a lie. And so we need the community of our faith. We need to experience the oneness in Jesus Christ. And if we're honest, I think the enemy is doing a really good job of destroying the reputation of people like me so that there are no more trustworthy teachers anymore. Because he knows that if we're just left on our own, we're not going to make a difference in the world. But if we follow the spirit and the gifts in the body and we do the things that, that was encouraged in the early church and we find our way through it, there is no limit to the impact we could have on a city like Baltimore if we continue to allow the power of God to grow in and through us. But the enemy knows all he has to do is to get us to not trust each other anymore. And as soon as we stop that, then what do we have to stand on any longer? And so I would covet your prayers. I, I, I selfishly ask that you pray for us and the elders and the leaders of our church. Because I promise you, the enemy is relentlessly after us. Because that, just like, like what's been happening these last couple of weeks in, in, in Barrington, Illinois, and uh, around the church family up there, there's been an incredible amount of pain associated with the fact that, that leaders are, are tempted and are constantly being challenged. And so we are going to be no different. And so we need to continue in community to walk with one another and pursue the things of Christ together. And so... What we're finding here in Antioch is that they were experiencing what I would call a honeymoon period. Now, I'll tell you this, I, I, the honeymoon period is a great period of time. Um, when we lived here in Baltimore, we had what I would refer to as a brief honeymoon period. January, February, March, when we moved here in January of 2008, man, my family, we were skipping down the sidewalks. <laughs> Well, partly because there's, there's no even sidewalks, so you have to constantly be picking up your feet, right? 
uh, unless you're around the Inner Harbor, and so they, they make nice sidewalks for people that aren't from Baltimore, but if you live in a Baltimore neighborhood, um, you have to learn to pick your feet up. But we, we were enjoying our time here in Baltimore, but then Baltimore started to happen. You know, bikes were stolen. You know, as many of you know our story, we, my, we were playing in a playground, and my daughter got stuck by a junkie needle that was left in the mulch, and, uh, you know, uh, physical impacts on our family. And after that, you know, you're like, you're not skipping anymore, right? You just are kind of like, all right, Lord, this is hard. This is difficult. But we need to continue to persevere. And it's because we did this in life and community with each other that we really began to experience some powerful things. Because after the honeymoon period, tests are going to come. Trials are going to come. And just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean that there's a red carpet rolled out in front of you. And there are a lot of pastors in this city that will tell their parishioners if they give a certain amount of money and they believe in Christ that they're not going to have any problems. And if they have problems, it's because they didn't give enough and they aren't, right? And so if you increase your offering, your, your faith is going to go out and ahead of you. And all, let me just tell you this. You believe in Jesus, life is going to be hard. You don't get a pass. Um, and actually, if you literally believe in Jesus and do what Jesus did, you're actually ensuring the fact that you're going to experience pain. And not just your pain, other people's pain. Because you're going to be engaging people that are in pain, and you're going to be joining them in that pain, and therefore you're going to be in pain. How many of you want to believe in Jesus this morning? <laughs> right? Right? And I would say I would hope all of us would want to, because there is a richness and a joy in learning to sacrifice and lay your life down for other people. And so... This early church in Antioch needed their roots to go down deep. So Barnabas went to get Paul, who was an expert in telling them about the Messiah, how the Messiah fulfilled all the Old Testament promises, and how he was now the one that was going to lead them into the kingdom of God. Paul was an expert. Saul is still being referred to here, but we know him as Paul. And he was brought in to root them in community, in, in relationship with each other, so that they could withstand the tests that were coming. They weren't in isolation and they began to experience a gladness that, that boiled over into an excessive amount of generosity. I want you guys to understand this. And it's very important that we, we, we tie this together. Is that when you and I do what we're supposed to do, the people in the broken places get what they need. But when you and I mess around and we don't walk in the unity of Christ, there is a group of people that are ignored that are left out, that are excluded, that don't know that they're loved. They are the poor. They are the oppressed. They're the widow. They're the orphan, right? There are people that we should have our eyes fixed on, but when we're not walking in community together, we're so distracted by our own problems and all of the issues that we face that we don't even want to see the needs of the poor around us. But this church in Antioch was experiencing what true community, what true growth in Christ was, and they began to, to see how, wait a minute, we've been blessed. There's a famine, there's a, a, a drought going on, there's people in need, and there's a church persecuted in Jerusalem. People have lost all they have. We're going we're gonna to do our best to help them. That's what be, began to happen. And so for some of you that follow our church on social media, and those of you that follow me on social media, um, you'll know that I said that this morning we were going to have um, Brian and Diana Roberts, uh, who was elected into the Oriole Hall of Fame yesterday. Um, 
and for those of you that grew up playing cricket and all these other sports, um, uh, baseball is still the American sport, right? And so if, uh, we encourage you to be a part of all that. But Brian and I and Diana, his wife, were introduced to each other a few years ago. Um, actually, 10 years ago. I don't know. It's been a long time, like 2009, 2010. You guys, come on up. Um, they're going to help me share and help me bring a little bit of, of, of truth to this. Um, Brian and Diana, actually, according to the song that we just sang, when one of us is honored, we're all honored. So you guys are all in the Oriole Hall of Fame. <laughs> Isn't that pretty awesome? So here, let me, let me share this with you guys. Um, whoops. Here, let me put two hands on that. Go ahead and pull it straight out, Brian. Yeah, just, it, I don't know, you're out of practice. Do you need a glove? Um, but uh, we actually had a chance to meet them in a very unique way. And I want you guys to see how the Lord works because um, Brian was actually walking his dog, Rocky, a bulldog, um, uh, one Sunday after a game near the end of the season and happened to hear some people around a barbecue talking about a sermon on prayer and the outgoing person that Brian is, which he really is very outgoing. You, you shake your head, bro. Um, he engaged in conversation like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And next thing you know, he and Diana came to church the next Sunday and um, they, st they stuck around to pray. And the first thing I ever really remember saying to Brian was, you're a little young to be a snowbird because he had just told me that he was leaving in a week to go to Florida. And I'm like, you look like you're really young to be a... You remember me saying that to you? And then he says, um, I'm a professional baseball player. And then foot, mouth, you know that thing that happens? <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to get my foot out of my mouth in a way that I'm like, maybe, well, he'll never come back. But uh, the Lord used that as a great opportunity for us to kind of get to know each other. And, and then we had a chance to meet Diana and a friendship has birthed. And there's a lot of things that were happening in Baltimore that you guys are totally unaware of that they've had a part in helping us accomplish. And I'm very grateful. We don't have time for all that today. But one of the things that I wanted to start with is when I knew that Brian was being inducted this weekend into the Oriole Hall of Fame, I texted him last week. And I'm like, hey, man, I know you're in town. Do you mind helping share testimony on Sunday? Because I think some of our people would really enjoy hearing from you and not from me. Can I get an amen on that, right? Um, <laughs> And, um, and I'm like, but could you and Diana come? And he's like, hey, crickets. I got no response. My email went, or the text message went unanswered. And your friend's from Florida. Does that ever happen when you text Brian? Do you ever? I just need to feel common ground with some of you, right? But then a couple of days later, you responded. And why don't you tell us how you guys received that text and what happened? And Diana, would you start that? Because I was really moved by that story. I think it was partially my fault that there was crickets for a little bit. Because um, when he had asked Brian, I said, you know, honey, can you just give me a couple of days? I need to pray about this. I want to make sure that it's spirit-led. And honestly, in a setting like this, this is outside my comfort zone to speak in front of a lot of people. Um, so I got before the Lord, and the Lord was just so clear with me. And he said, Diane, I've been sharing this with you, unity in the body. And I said, okay, all right. Um, and so I went to Brian, and I said, all right, babe, if we were to speak, um, what would you want to speak about? And he said, I don't know, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, unity. Okay, um, this is spirit-led. <laughs> yeah, and so, Brian, after you sent that to me, I shared with you that we were in Acts 11, and the, the, the thing, this is the thing that I also enjoyed about now that I'm actually getting a response back from him, which was really pretty <laughs> awesome, 
was um, he, you actually went and read Acts 11. Um, and then kind of tell me what, what transpired as you, were, as you then kind of got a little bit excited about being here with us. Well, there's a lot. First of all, thanks for having us. This is, uh, you know, as we were singing, um, it said that, um, that Jesus casts out fear and, or silences fear, and that was my wife's worst nightmare. This is like my worst, her worst nightmare. So uh, she was like, they're singing to me right now. Um, <laughs> but we've been, she's been studying 1 Corinthians. I studied Ephesians uh, kind of as you guys were um, for a while at the same time, and so much about the unity in the body right, and being one, um, keeping peace in the body. And, and then I started studying Acts 11, as you, as you brought that up, um, and just love the story of, um, you know, for one, sharing the gospel, obviously. Uh, you were talking about um, how Luke was writing to Theophilus and in our church. So we have, I got six brothers right here from Florida that flew up to celebrate uh, with me, and this is our small group. Um, and our small group is called Three Strands, because uh, in Ecclesiastes 4.12 it says, uh, one is easily overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Um, and we have uh, eight, actually, in our group. Uh, six are here, we are uh, seven, and the other guy we have now informed that he's no longer in our group since he's not here. Um, but actually, he's a pastor at our church, so we can't kick him out. <laughs> um, but it's really all about that, right? It's about walking with one another. It's about encouraging each other in the body. Um, and I just loved the Acts 11 passage. As I was studying the commentary on it, um, I was studying, they said, basically, if you go back and read Acts 10, he repeated himself, right? He wrote Acts 10 and 11, basically the same thing. And when you think about it, he was writing on a scroll, and there's only so much room on the scroll. He said, so how important must it be if he repeated chapter 10 and 11 back to back? So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and thinking of that, um, you know, we, we've been sharing in conversations in our faith for almost a decade now, um, on and off at different points in time, but um, you're different today than you were when I first met you. Um, you now have two amazing children um, that I'm sad that the, last night went so late that they're not here this morning. But um, uh, when you look back, I mean, you, there are a lot of you, how many of you travel for your work in here? You guys, be honest, you travel. How many of you um, work for Hopkins 18 hours a day? Um, there's a few of you guys in here that, yeah, some of you, Andrew's in the back. <laughs> like, I couldn't even lift my arms. I'm so tired from being at Hopkins. Um, but uh, you guys came out, a lot of people don't know what life was like as a professional athlete. Um, and so you were trying to follow Jesus when you were at least in hotels 81 days a year, sometimes more than that. Then you take a month to be in an, another environment. You know fast-paced life. You know the burdens of people that were like in Antioch, where people were constantly changing around them. There's a lot of pressure on them to be successful and all of that. Um, share a little bit about how um, community or the lack of community has really shaped you guys today. Like I said, I can it's go. I can nightmare. go. I can go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let me, let well, me talk we were, about this too, yeah, because we, you have an interesting perspective. Because you sure. watch your husband in public, but yet you guys know what it's like to be at home. But yet you also are a sister in Christ, um, and and in desperate need of community. But yet having to follow a husband all around, uh, you know, the American League East and beyond. So. Well, and we were talking that we're not standing here saying that we did it right because I think we look back and we reflect a lot that, man, we could have done that a lot better. Um, we could have been more intentional. We could have 
gotten out of those comfort zones and not just went back to comfort or, hey, we're tired, we just want to reprieve a little bit. And I think um, now in the stage that we're in, that God has us with this community, we see, like, we missed out on a lot, not sacrificing and just moving forward and continuing to be intentional with those relationships and growing together and being transparent, even when things are tough. Um, Because in that unity, hey, when you start getting really close with people, our pastor likes to say, you start to stink. And you want to put up guards or pull away, and Christ doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to push forward and dig deeper and continue to love. That's good. Brian, I see you have some scriptures marked with your fingers. Um, (laughs) What question do I need to ask so that those scriptures come out? You're supposed to be led by the Spirit. I don't know. I'm I'm being... (laughs) The Spirit is telling me to open up your fingers. (laughs) No, just in Ephesians, as we were talking about, it says unity in the body of Christ, and it says be completely humble and gentle in Ephesians 4. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And that's kind of what my wife is saying. It's like... You know, when we do get in these communities and we do get one-to-one discipleship or we get two-to-one, um, it, can, it can start to smell. And we can not like what we see in the other person. The other person cannot like what they see in us. And, and we tend to run, right? We tend to hide. We tend to pull back. Um, and, you know, in our professional life, I think when we were in the baseball life and as you guys are in professional life or if you're traveling, you're busier. Um, I do think our, our life at that time was preparing us for this life. Um, we got poured into probably more than we even poured ourselves out. And, and I don't know that that's, you know, maybe that was just part of the sanctifying process of our life at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could have and should have poured out even more than we did. But by the grace of God, Ellis and, you know, Dave Kruger, another pastor of ours, um, poured into us and allowed us to maybe get to the point where we are today, where we're able to pour ourselves out maybe more than we did then. And uh, I think through our phases of life in which we do different things. But um, I, I used a, the quote yesterday um, at, the, at the induction that, you know, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And um, so I think it's really about giving of ourselves, right? It's about giving of our time. It, it's, it's, what, um, it's what Barnabas and Paul and Saul, were, they, they were going and giving of themselves um, for the body of Christ. Yeah, and one of the things, too, that you guys have bumped up against, whether the, the tensions of baseball are now settling in Florida with your family, um, is the, the difficulty of falling in love with people <laughs> and then staying in love with them. And I'm not just talking about your marriage, but just everybody in your life. Everybody we're called to love, and we're called to love well, but just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean it's easy to love each other. Um, what have you guys learned in, as you're maturing in your faith of the sacrifice and the cost of pursuing people in love to keep unity. Um, it is. It's hard to love people because we're sinners, right? We are all, I mean, we, we do a, a devotional book with my five-year-old. It's called Big Truths for Little Kids. And one of the questions is, you know, um, the answer, he has to repeat, it's kind of the catechism book, but the answer is like, I am corrupt in every part of my being. And it's like, that's who we are, unfortunately, at the, our core. And so I don't even like who I am most of the time. Why am I going to like sometimes who the other person is? You know, I struggle with my own st- stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and when we get in those spots, it's really hard to continue to, to love people. But the fact that we are loved, the fact that we must know 
how much we are loved by God, first and foremost, by Christ, that he went to the cross for us, then we can pour that back out, right? Um, and I was reading in my commentary too this morning in Acts 11, and it was talking about um, how the, the Jews were looking at the Gentiles very legalistically, right? And when we get legalistic, we become cold. We become uh, shut down. We, we don't even like who we are when we're legalistic. But when we're living in grace, then we're able to kind of pour that back out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, just kind of in kind of bringing the chapter to a close and the, the, the testimony of Antioch and the testimony of the Roberts. And um, when, we, when we waste our time, um, who gets left out? Like, um, you know, where, 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 where are the people that fall away or the fall into the margins based on what you guys have seen? The least of these. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. when we, uh, John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life and it will rock your world because it's like, we only, Ray Lewis, last week, he, in his Hall of Fame speech, he said, you know, you have on your headstone, you have a, a date you were born, you got a date that you die, and there's a dash in between, and that's, he said, your legacy. I don't love necessarily, because it's not about our legacy, it's about Jesus. But when we don't use that dash for Jesus, then people get left out. Mm -hmm. And people will get left out in eternity. That's the problem. It's not necessarily just that they get left out here on earth, because that's bad but it's eternity. If we don't have the eternal perspective that, look, this is, this is people's eternal destination that we're, yeah. that we're leaving out. It's not necessarily just the daily food or water that they may not have or whatever. I, that's important because it is. God, you know, Jesus tells us that, but it's the eternal perspective. It's um, our church, we call it a primary receiver. And Theophilus was basically Luke's primary receiver, yeah. right? We, that's what we kind of say. We have somebody in our life. We have people in our life that they're our primary receiver. Hey, they need to hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. But as we also say a lot of times, people don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? You have to get in their life and you have to live life with them first mm -hmm. and foremost. And then they see Jesus yeah. through you and they want something out of that. My, that's what my wife is. I praise her all the time because she's great at it. Um, she just walks with people who aren't believers and she loves on them and she serves them. And then eventually they're like, wow, I really, there's something different, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so that's really what, yeah. how they get left out, I think. Yeah. Um, what, how could we be praying for your family now? Um, I mean, you've come and served us this morning. The least thing we could do is serve you guys in prayer in the coming weeks. Like, how could we be praying for you and your family? Uh, I think the Lord has pressed upon us a lot of um, initiatives, and I hate using that word, but a lot of things in our community and reaching out and loving others at the least of these and just that the Lord would open doors where they need to be opened and close them where they need to be shut. And that those children that we are intentionally seeking, that they would feel love, that they would know Jesus, that it would ripple into their families, into that community. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that, Brian? Um, yeah, that we don't waste our life, that, um, that our life has meaning and purpose every day when we wake up, that we're seeking Christ. Um, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've had a lot of amazing opportunities. We're kind of in the next quote-unquote phase of life, um, trying to Welcome figure out what... Welcome to the 40s <laughs> and over for you to name it. Yeah. Hold, All the rest of you are like, 40? Oh, I'm so old. Sorry. With a lot of prayer, hopefully it won't be a convertible and a, and a, uh, yeah. <laughs> a midlife crisis. But um, well, honestly, we just, um, we do. We want to glorify God with our life. And so yeah. I just yeah. pray that that becomes clear and evident and the spirit moves in our life.
Yeah, you guys join me in praying for them. Father, we just come to you and, and just ask in Jesus' name that you would answer this request. Lord, let them see where they are to invest. Father, let them know what their part in, in the body of Christ and how um, you want to use them, Lord. Um, and I pray, Lord, even as Diana mentioned a little bit ago, that doing these types of moments of speaking publicly have not been things she's pursued or make her uncomfortable. She's been given more and more opportunities recently. So, Lord, you're obviously wanting her to do these things. And so, Father, would you help her to fine-tune this gift um, of the testimony of Christ in her and give her continued confidence in sharing it. And, Father, we also um, pray, too, that as they are hitting a different phase of life, Father, um, set the steps, Lord, let them see, let them run after you ahead of them, and, and Lord, give them the confidence of that. And Father, I thank you for their encouragement today, for us to be unified and one in Jesus Christ, and to learn to get close to people, and to fight through the stink that then comes from us getting to know one another, and learning to help one another. And Father, um, I pray that we um, would have people like Barnabas's that would come that you would use um, them in our church family to say, this is the type of teacher you need now, and this is what you need to learn, and, and Lord, that we'd be encouraged to follow after that. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the ways that you've honored the Roberts this weekend, but Lord, we also thank you for the ways that uh, the name of Jesus has been lifted up, and Lord, we just want to see your kingdom come and your will being done in Baltimore as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.